on top of all the other portions of my identity, I prayed my little heart out because as an adoptee, as someone brought into this family, my biggest fear was that they could potentially send me back because I'm gay. So with that fear, I prayed even harder. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and on today's show, you're going to meet Andrew. He called me from Connecticut after a move from here in Maryland. Andrew told me that he's been through a lot in his life. He's a transracial, international adoptee who grew up in a predominantly white community there in Connecticut. He shares how he strode to achieve in athletics and performing arts to try to overshadow his brown skin, the unmistakable mark of being an adoptee in his community. However, he credits his strong Catholic faith for getting him through everything, including coming out as a gay man. This is Andrew's journey. Andrew was born in the Philippines, but grew up in Brookfield, Connecticut. His parents were white, and they had one son, who was biological to them, and six years Andrew's senior. When she was pregnant with Andrew's brother, the doctor told his mother her pregnancy was so difficult that having another child was not a good idea. When Andrew was adopted, he was about 10 months old. His parents received him at the airport. Andrew said growing up in that area was quite an experience. He was loved, accepted, and cared for as part of the family. But back in the late 80s, transracial adoptions weren't as prevalent as they are now, especially in a small town in Connecticut. He said his mother experienced a fair number of interesting encounters with members of the community. So, I mean, this is all stories told back to me um, as I have grown. But uh, there was one time when she had me in her, in, in the baby carriage, and uh, she was in the department store shopping around. Um, and a, a fellow shopper <laughs> looked into the carriage to see me, the, uh, the brown baby, the brown son that she had adopted, um, and looks back at my mother almost with a perplexing face, a perplexed face, um, and simply asks, why did you do that? Um, wow. And that, that was, that was the, one of the first moments that my mother and family experienced something to that effect, because prior to, you know, they had already had me and shown me around the community, and uh, I grew up Roman Catholic, so, uh, you know, meeting all the, the fellow parishioners and neighbors and, and loved ones, um, and they received nothing but uh, positive feedback of, of acceptance. Uh, but this is one of the first occurrences that I have been told that my mother remembers experiencing a touch of racial discrimination. Andrew said his mother was shocked and surprised in that moment of negative feedback about her interracial adoption in the face of broader acceptance in the community. It must have been confusing. So I figured it must have been tough growing up in a predominantly white community as an adoptee of color. 
it was an experience because, you know, I was, I was noticeably not from my parents. So that story of being adopted um, and being essentially delivered to my parents and family uh, was an ongoing story that I always heard growing up um, because that was their way of, that was their way of, of being clear and open about my adoption and where I came from. Uh, for me, being one of the few brown people of color of my, my students, my fellow classmates and everything, it was challenging. You know, I, I carry a very positive spirit. I carry a smile um, along the way of life um, growing up and, and even today. But as part of this community, as part of this town, and as I stood out as I do, there's a bit of pressure that is that way over me about that. Um, and I think a lot of that difference that I, the differences that I have, uh, being adopted, um, being Filipino and brown in a, a sea of fellow white students and classmates and friends, I think that's part of the, the motivation that I had behind, you know, doing well in school and play, playing soccer and just excelling, trying to do the best in excelling as most I can to combat those questions, I guess, um, so that people didn't see that I was different. What they saw was a student. They saw a scholar. They saw an athlete. They saw a singer. They saw um, a member, a prominent member of the parish community. They didn't mm-hmm. see a Filipino boy. Did you get the feeling that your efforts to sort of overachieve worked? Did you feel like you were hiding in plain sight? <sighs> yeah. If those efforts worked, and to be honest, I didn't actually think about that until I just said that and shared that with you. And I don't, I don't think it was a conscious decision that I made. I think it was a subconscious decision that, I, that was made in my, my young mind and young-bodied mind that I need to do this so that people don't see the other. Given Andrew was living in a predominantly white community in the 1970s and 80s, I figured it must have been hard for his parents to help him connect to his Filipino heritage. He said every summer, the adoption agency held summer events for all of their clients and for the adoptees to reconnect as a community. It was an opportunity for Andrew to meet other adoptees, many of whom were Filipino. His parents have since shared that there wasn't much information on transracial adoption back then, so it was tough for them to know how to navigate raising an adopted person from another culture. Ironically, there was a strong Filipino culture in their area of Connecticut that had their own community group, which Andrew availed himself of through the church. But being Filipino and being adopted into my white family... I didn't give myself the opportunity to learn more about my culture because I wanted, I didn't want to feel more different than I already was. I didn't want, I also didn't want to make my parents or feel badly that I, if I were to learn about my culture and then be, become less of a Wheelock and more of a Filipino, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. 
you ended up sort of, it sounds like, straddling two worlds of the clear physical identity that you have that's undeniable as any person looks at you as you traverse the community and not wanting to stand out at the same time, you know, but having that curiosity about yourself. On top of everything else, Andrew shared that he's a gay man. He said that growing up, the thoughts and feelings arose during puberty, starting when he was about nine years old. But remember, he was raised Roman Catholic, and homosexuality was way more frowned upon in Andrew's youth. Grappling with that and trying to understand that, on top of all the other portions of my identity, I prayed my little heart out. Because as an adoptee, as someone brought into this family, my biggest fear was that they could potentially send me back because I'm gay. So with that fear, I prayed even harder uh, for a sign, for some type of understanding to God um, as to why I was having these thoughts and feelings and, and what does it all mean? Uh, and that carries through majority of my middle school years. Uh, and it wasn't until I was probably 12 or 13, uh, I was sitting, I remember this specifically, I was sitting in my Catholic church, St. Joseph, and the priest gave a homily. He gave a homily about how God doesn't make mistakes how he creates each and every one of us for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. And in those words, and in that homily, is when I, ironically enough, accepted my sexuality of being a homosexual while sitting in the Roman Catholic Church. That's incredible. Wow. That must have been a real conflict, though, to be sitting in a place where what you have accepted about yourself is not accepted in the, in the physical building nor in the organization that you are in that moment participating in. That must have been a, a real conflict. It was. Uh, it was. It was crazy, and but everything happens for a reason. He said everyone's coming out story is very different. When I asked Andrew if he had other gay and lesbian friends he could turn to or confide in, he shared that his coming out was very unique. He reminded me that he was very active in sports, singing lessons, and other extracurricular activities, so there was a lot of time in the car with his mother. He told his mother about his sexuality one day riding along with her. A lot of my coming out was through my mother because uh, I would tell her first, and then she would talk to my father because... Um, I'm a bit of a mama's boy, <laughs> and uh, it was more comfortable that way, I guess. Um, so I never verbatim told my father that I'm gay directly, uh, but my mother spoke on my behalf to him. Um, and then in regards to the town itself and my peers, <laughs> like I told you, I grew up in this town, and uh, the coming out process in a social sense was not challenging for me because everyone essentially already knew <laughs> uh, that I was going to be that I am a homosexual. Really? Um, How do you mean that? Uh, I just, I mean, I was and am a, a, a very, I, I don't, I don't want to say flamboyant, 
As I sang, um, I sang a lot. So mm-hmm. I enjoyed that theatric, the theater. You know, I was comfortable with that. I was comfortable with myself even before I knew it. You know, as I did come out and the coming out process, what's ironic is that even when it came to the extended family that I have on my mom's side and my, my father's side, they all also already knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only people that, uh, I heard this from my father's side of the family, that they mm-hmm. believe that the only people that didn't know that I was gay were actually my parents. That's really funny. Yeah. So then, how yeah. can you tell me a little bit about how this came out in the car that particular day? I can't specifically recall the conversation and how it transpired and, and how it came about, but it was very nerve-wracking uh, to share that with my mother. I definitely remember my heart racing and my mind going back and forth of, do you do this or do you not do this? Uh, do you, uh, I had to keep telling myself that this isn't a mistake, Andrew. This is who you are. And, and I think, to be honest, as I'm thinking about it, one of the things that, one of the stories that, I heard growing up is about how um, people come out, or they don't come out at all, um, and they, they lead a life of a heterosexual offense. Um, they get married, they have children, but um, behind closed doors or in their privacy, um, discreetly, they are actually not a heterosexual. And that lie, I couldn't do. Um, you know, I already led a life of being very publicly different. Um, so for me to potentially harbor this I, portion of who I am, I couldn't do because I couldn't lie to myself about being adopted. I couldn't lie. I can't lie to the world about being adopted. So why am I going to lie to anybody else about being a homosexual? Andrew's father is a very devout Catholic. He used to go to church every single day. When I asked Andrew about whether he ever talked with his father directly about his sexuality, he told me they've had some rough times. Unfortunately, in this process, in this life, uh, there was about two years that my father and I didn't actually speak. It was about 2009 or so um, where I had a boyfriend, uh, a long-term boyfriend, of about three years or two years at that time. And I think I was still living at home. However, my boyfriend lived in Maryland, cause, um, so we were playing long distance. But when my boyfriend would come to visit, he couldn't stay in this house. He couldn't stay with my family. And when I looked at that, when I experienced that, and the reason that my, brother, my father and I didn't speak was because when my brother was growing up, and he had girlfriends, even in high school, in college, in general, the girlfriends were always able to sleep over and stay over. But because I'm a homosexual, I wasn't able to have my boyfriend stay in this house. Mm-hmm. And because of that, my father and I didn't speak for a good two years. Now cut to today, and since then, uh, he has come around, um, and he actually has apologized uh, for that period of time because in his spiritual studies and everything, um, and life, you know, he's learned and been more open to 
this is his son. <laughs> and this is how the world works now these days. How did you receive his his apology? So, um, I received it uh, humbly <laughs> and with humility. Uh, what's interesting about any time my family comes to me with an apology or they they present some emotional aspect of themselves or share something emotional to me, what's interesting about that, and this, this directly is because I'm adopted and not actually genetically part of this family, I always knew. I always knew what was going on. I always had a sense of what my family and family members were experiencing. So when my father apologized, I already knew that he was sorry. Um, but, but sharing those specific words uh, meant a lot. Now, I'll go further to explain. My brother, who was six years older than me, there was a good portion of my lifetime growing up where I felt like I didn't have a brother uh, because he, he had his own baggage and his own issues going on in his life, as did I. But when I needed a big brother, he wasn't there. It sounds I knew why he wasn't able to be there for me. But when he apologized to me, it was very difficult for him to do so for his lack of being a good brother, in a sense, um, I also knew that he was sorry. <laughs> I knew before, and I understood why he did what he did. And that's, uh, it's, it's almost like, like I'm part of this family, uh, but I'm also an almost an observer of the family, if that makes sense. How do you mean that? Um, I mean, it's like any part of family, right? We understand each other. We we understand the interworkings of each other. Andrew says he wants to search for his biological parents, but he hasn't taken any active steps quite yet. From what I've learned and researched uh, for any adoptee, it's not an easy process. And, and being an international adoptee from the Philippines, it's going to be even more of a challenging process for myself. Also to the fact that the adoption agency that my family adopted me through is actually no longer in existence. Um, mm. And back when I was adopted <laughs> um, in 1986-87, the Philippines themselves were going through a lot of turmoil and difficulties. So background story on that, in the adoption process for my parents, apparently there were two other times, there were two other children prior to me that they were supposed to adopt into their family. Uh, but the paperwork got lost in a trolley accident, um, and the paperwork got lost again due to some other unknown incident. So uh, what I do know in my bio biological parents is my mother's name, Amelia Kasirak, and I have the, the birth certificate from that, and that's it. Um, How did you? If I you do know that my father, my biological father, uh, was a tailor. Uh, I don't know anything else besides that. Uh, and the only reason that I giggle and laugh and smile when I know that is because when I was in kindergarten, I think uh, it was around this time in the holidays when we had an arts and crafts project, and uh, it was a tree with presents underneath, and then there was a stitching that went around the tree 
with green yarn and I used a, a plastic needle. And I did that project. And when I brought it home, my mother looks at it and she says, these to herself, she says, these are incredibly even stitches. And I ended the stitch, you know, on the corner so that it would be a perfect 90 degree angle when I had to turn the corner. Mm. And then she, she remembered that my father, my biological father is a tailor. Uh, so that's something that is genetically part of me. That's really fascinating. Wow. How is it that you got your birth certificate with your biological mother's name on it if you haven't really done anything to search? That was I mean, that was through the agency that they that came with my record. That's really cool. So yeah. what is your what is your intention for searching? I mean, well first let me ask you this. How come you haven't tried to search? I haven't tried to search I haven't tried to search because I wanted to do it on my own. I didn't want my family to help fund my search. Um, I also wanted to be able to come into that potential meeting of my biological family with with a stronger career, I guess, mm-hmm. and feel some type of that I'm coming to the table with, this is what I've done with my life. And this is what I've succeeded and excelled in. Uh, but at this juncture of my life, <laughs> my whole life is a success. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Why do you say that? I love it. I'm just curious to know why, why you say that. Because as, as we and I have talked to you and shared in this time together, a lot of stuff I've been through <laughs> yeah. and and gone through and gotten through despite all the odds I might have felt were against me. And, you know, if, if I wasn't in a good place, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. And, and with those words, there's no reason for me not to feel like I have succeeded and excelled in life in order to meet and potentially work on finding my biological mother and or family. So why not go ahead and start trying? That's the 2020 goals, sir. Oh, that's great to hear. Andrew told me that he's always been someone that others turn to for life advice, to the point that others have suggested he should be a therapist. So I asked him, given his breadth of experiences and the mental strength he finds within himself now, what kinds of advice he gives to others, be they gay men, adoptees, transracial and interracial adoptees, or anyone else? From my life and from my experiences, when it comes to dispensing and sharing advice and suggestions on how to navigate coming out, how to navigate being adopted, how to navigate this world uh, in general, being different, feeling different. It, it hasn't been easy for myself. Um, but, but perseverance is something that has carried me forward. And, and honestly, my faith has really helped carry me forward. Uh, 
which is ironic, and, and what I shared with you earlier about coming out in the Catholic, and accepting my sexuality sitting in the Catholic Church because of that experience, I'm still a practicing Roman Catholic. I still sing in church. Um, I still will go to church every time I get an opportunity to do, to do so in a new city. Um, and with that, you know, people sometimes are turned away from religion. So based on the recipient or the audience, if you want to put it in theater terms, the best advice that I always try to give is, is lead with strength and lead with the power that you have within you. And while, while adversity we face, if we look around us and we see the friends, and the family, and the, and the chosen family through friendships, there's resources available for you there. And there's someone that may have had a similar experience that can, that can share what they went through um, and how they try and forward. But there's resources around everywhere, whether that be God, whether that be your parents, whether that be your family and friends. Sometimes we just need to stop and look around and realize that everything that you need is right around you. Yeah. That's great advice. I like that a lot. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for sharing your story. I really appreciate hearing what you've been through with open honesty about how challenging it's been. But it's also really cool to hear that you're in a place of strength now. And I hope that you will find the resources to pursue a counseling or, or therapy career if that's in your heart to do so because I could see how people would connect with you very easily uh, and how you would have something to share back to them so I wish you all the best okay alright thank you so much and thank you for the yeah no problem man my pleasure thanks for reaching out I'll talk to you later Andrew take care buddy have a good 2020 yeah we'll talk to you, you alright bye bye Hey, it's me. Andrew grew up with a multiplicity of factors that made him a standout in his community. He is an interracial, transracial gay adoptee of brown skin in a mostly white community. For some people, that would be a lot to overcome and still feel good about yourself. But Andrew speaks of his whole life to this point as a success, and I love that. Still, I thought it was fascinating that even though Andrew feels that way, he still wants to present more career success to his biological family when he meets them for the first time. I encouraged Andrew to jump in and get started with his search. We just never know how much time we have with the people in our biological families. He doesn't know how long his search process could take, and as he said, he's been through a lot, so he should feel confident that he is enough. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you'll find something in Andrew's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash really or follow on Twitter at WAI Really. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with contributions to keep it going at patreon.com slash WAI Really. 
paypal.me slash Damon Davis or Venmo at Damon L. Davis. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. If you're interested, you can find Who Am I Really? An Adoptee Memoir on Amazon.com. I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.